part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, Father, we are grateful. And Father, how, uh, I guess, apropos, how ironic, whatever words we want to use, that we would have a sermon this morning entitled, When Life Seems Futile. For Father, this morning, in the last couple of days, we've had enough wheels come off the, the, the wagon there, Father, to present some uh, last-minute adjustments and changes and all kinds of things. And, and yet, Father, you've been right there with us with every step. And Father, you have held our hand and you have guided us. And Father, we know that you're going to do that this morning. Father, I have no doubt that your word this morning can transform and change lives. Father, even people who have been going to church their entire lives, Father, they may not know the depths of the truth that you have in this passage. And so, Father, I pray that we would have open minds and hearts, that our ears would truly be, like Christ said, ears to hear the truth. And that, Father, that we would go out of this place and changed people. Father, you've already changed us, transformed us with the very Spirit and Father, with new life in you. But Father, I pray that we would have transformed minds. We just would think differently about when life really does become very plain and troublesome and, and maybe even some suffering happens in our lives. That Father, that we would look at it differently because we've been in your truth. Not because we've tried to take a spin. Not because we've tried to, to, to change, uh, Father, our attitudes because of a cultural thought. But Father, that we've just been in the truth of your word this morning and that your word would have that transformation on the way that we live our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We look forward to study this morning, Father, and pray that you would again just impact our lives as we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. One of the reasons why I love the, the Bible so much, love teaching the Bible, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, is because it is a brutally honest book. Have you ever thought about how brutally honest the, the Bible is? I mean, you take the main characters of the Bible and it shows all their flaws. It's not one of those that, you know, if you were going to write a story about yourself, would you really include all the bad things that happened? Maybe you would take those things that, uh, you know, kind of shown and those things that were victories in your life, all the trophies of your life. But really, if you were going to write, you know, Paul, if you were Moses, if you were David, would you really put in there all the things that they confronted in their lives, all the sin of their life? And so it's a brutally honest book, and it's really honest about the things of life. I think that's what's so surprising for a lot of people as they first come into Christianity, or even when they're just kind of dancing around Christianity, they're just kind of saying, okay, what does this have to offer me? If I follow Christ, what is in it for me? That's not really a biblical thought, but it very much is a cultural thought. Well, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? If I follow Christ, what do I get out of it? Well, simply we could say, well, there's a heaven and a hell, so you could be with God for the rest of all eternity instead of separated from God. Uh, but it goes far beyond that, folks. As we begin to look in the Bible and the truth of what it says, it begins to tell us that there are all kinds of blessings that God has for us. But it's a truthful book, so it also tells us that there's also a lot of suffering that goes on in this life. And I think if there's one thing that Christians, especially young Christians, new Christians, get surprised about as they begin to follow Christ, is that there really is still suffering in their lives. Well, you can find the preachers. I I promise you, you can find the preachers that are not 
preaching the truth of God's word that says, okay, if you follow Christ, everything in your life is just going to explode with happiness. You know, you will never have troubles again. You'll probably never even get a cold in again. You'll never get, you know, this, that, and the other, that financially you'll just be, you know, blossoming and blooming, and you'll never have to worry about those things. But, folks, that's a false gospel. It's not a biblical gospel. It's not what we see in God's word. God's word is really brutally honest. So honest that it truly is a transferable gospel. You, you'll hear me say often about the gospel that the Bible teaches can, can preach here in, in our city, but it can preach all the way in other countries in the world. You take the prosperity gospel. Do you think the prosperity gospel really can be preached in the depths of some African place where the people are dying every day out of starvation? I mean, folks, that's not a transferable gospel. Today is the day that we recognize persecuted churches around the world. Is that a transferable gospel that if you follow Christ, all of a sudden all the problems of your life are going to go away? Do you know that people are dying every day in the name of Christ? A lot of times people say, well, you know, that's even happening in America. Yeah, we are getting kind of upset and some of our rights are kind of taken away in America, but we're really not persecuted. Folks, people are truly losing their lives. Their, their lives are on the line every single day if they just stand up for Christ. And yes, we can go back to the tragedy just weeks ago where if you admitted that you were a Christian, you got shot. And, and we begin to see that kind of suffering that Jeff mentioned last week. We begin to say, man, this is a brutally honest book. But it wasn't just Paul, as we saw in Jeff preaching last week in that passage, it wasn't just Paul that said, okay, when you become a Christian, don't be surprised if there's still some trouble, if there's still some chaos in your life. James, I mean, he wrote a, a wonderful book there, a very practical book, and, and James 1-2, he said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy, who? My brother, who's he talking to? Christians. He's not saying, okay, world, man, there's a lot of trouble out there, but if you come follow Jesus, it's going to be like this yellow brick road and everything's going to be happy and and the sunshine's going to come out every single day and it's never going to rain in your life anymore and there won't even be rain clouds. That's not what James says. He says, brothers, Christians, I I want you to know, you're still going to have trouble. Uh, What did Peter say? Look what Peter said, 1 Peter 4.12. What's the first word that he says there? Beloved, who's he talking to? The church. The Christians. He said, beloved Christians, brothers and sisters, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. And yet, let's be honest, guys. I mean, since the Bible is brutally honest, let's be honest with ourselves. Don't you feel just a little tinge of that somehow God has let you down when that fiery trial comes in your life? I mean, as much as we might read that in the Bible, that we are to expect that, and we are not to count it strange, isn't it amazing how we who follow Christ, we do kind of count it strange? And there's often times that we will ask the three most, I think, used questions in all of humanity. Maybe you haven't said it just like this, but I promise you, every one of us, every one of us in here this morning have asked these three questions before. Why this? Why me? And God, why now? I mean, this is, kind of, this is not a good time for this financial trouble to come my way. This is not a good time for me to have marital strife when the kids are kind of all upset and they're having problems. This is not a good time. God, can we just take time out and you kind of put this on the shelf for six months, six years? See, the Bible says, Peter says, don't count it strange 
brethren, beloved, brothers and sisters, when, when you face these trials. And yet when it comes to our lives, we find ourselves asking these questions. And folks, as real as the Bible is, these are real questions. I, I don't belittle that you ask those questions or that I ask those questions. The significance of these questions is there an answer to it. Does God, does God have a ready answer for that? And is it a legitimate answer? Is it just kind of a feel-good answer? Is it kind of one of these Christian ease answers? Is it just kind of an answer that really, okay, only the super, super spiritual people believe, but everyone, the rest of us that are not quite so spiritual, we kind of get left in the dust? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you asked yourself those questions? Have you asked yourself those questions in the last week or month? I mean, isn't it amazing how in this life, even we who love Jesus, even those that want to follow Jesus and truly be part of this, you know, we've just been reading how we're adopted. We are the children of God. All these promises in Romans chapter 8. So it seems like Paul, for all of a sudden here, we're climbing up this Mount Everest of all these great promises of what it means to be a Christian. And all of a sudden, it's like he's throwing us a curve. And last week, as Jeff was, you know, uh, preaching about this passage, you know, about, you know, that we're going to have sufferings. And God gave us a promise in the midst of that suffering. He, he said, but remember this. Remember that your present sufferings do not begin to compare to the future glory. Now, how many of you believe that this morning? Is that enough? Some days it is. Some days when we really have that spiritual hat on and we feel that, you know, maybe we've been listening to a lot of Christian music and, and maybe, you know, we just came out from a, a, a big crusade or something or we've been seen to Beth Moore or something else, you know. We're, so we're coming back and we're going, okay, yes, present sufferings, but that's okay because I've got future glory. And there's going to be days in our Christian lives that that really is enough. And our faith is going to kind of guide us and take us. But folks, there are other days in our Christian lives that you're just as much Christian and yet, it doesn't seem so real. Now, why does this happen? Is it God just testing you? Does he just say, okay, let's see how strong Bob is. Let's see if we can just kind of pull him. You know, that's not the motivation of God. We never see that. We do see in the Word that these things come and test us, but it's not really God testing us as much as it is just the world testing us and, and to show the strength, not of ourselves, but the strength of Christ in us. In order to really look at these two verses, verse 26 and 27 this week, we have to go back to some of the previous verses that Jeff covered last week. And it's not because he didn't do a great job. It's because you cannot understand the fullness of 26, 27 without looking at what Paul just said. So let's go back real quick to verse 20. Look what it says there, the first part of verse 20. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility. He was talking about when sin came into the world. And how sin entered the world, and, and, and what happened to the world? We call it the fall. Adam and Eve, their bodies that had been perfect, that never had trouble whatsoever, they never caught a cold, they never had anything whatsoever, all of a sudden their bodies began to feel like our bodies, old and aging, decrepit, <laughs> you know, at times. And all of a sudden they experienced something they had never, a futility about their body. Well, folks, the Bible says here that even creation was subjected. I mean, can you imagine how beautiful the Garden of Eden was? 
I mean, it truly was a beautiful place. But not only was it just beautiful in sight, aesthetically beautiful, but it would have been beautiful in spirit. I mean, the lion lays down with the lamb instead of the lion eating the lamb. I mean, you can go up to any creature. You can grow, go up to anything. I mean, there was nothing but perfection there because there was no sin there. Adam and Eve, they disobey God. They go their own way. The fall comes upon man. And all of a sudden, a futility that had never been in the human race or in all of creation was created. And what happened? Even the trees began to die. Even tornadoes and hurricanes and things like that. All creation that had been perfect before, all of a sudden there was a torment, there was a futility that came there. And Paul tells us that in this present age, the age that you and I live in right now, that there is a constant war going on between two things the present futility and the future glory. So that's what Jeff talked about last week. He said, you know, this pre- we have sufferings but they don't compare to the future glory. Everything that Paul's talking about here, we believe. And when I said, man, one day we're going to go to heaven and there's not going to be any problems, every one of y'all going, yeah, yeah, waiting for that day, kind of wishing for that day. If they were taking over a bus, would get on the bus right now and go. Because we have this futility in our life and, and we feel that. And so sometimes we have this friction between the futility of this present day and the future glory. Well, God begins to explain all that. He says, look, there's a hope in the age to come, and yet it's not yet. Where did this futility come from? It came from man's sin. What did it affect? Everything. What is the current result? A groaning. And this groaning becomes, becomes because we're waiting. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What do you mean? Uh, Jeff covered that a little bit last week. He says, the curse of sin has affected every aspect of the present age, even creation. And the results, as Paul described, was that creation is now groaning in anticipation. That all of God's creation is, is waiting for this glorious return of the perfection that one day will come the new heavens and the new earth. But not only is creation groaning, guess what? Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but what? Who? But we ourselves. He says not only is creation groaning, not only is creation kind of just wanting, I mean, i just waiting to see Jesus. I'm just waiting for this perfection to come. I'm waiting for this future glory that God has promised to come. And he says all of creation is kind of just yearning for that, waiting for that. And in the process, it's groaning because it's just waiting for that. And he compares it to childhood. What a beautiful illustration. Pain, intense pain, and yet the joy of something that would come. In new life. So we get that, this drastic pain, but then the production of a new life when the child is born. And he said that is happening in creation, and he says it's happening in your life even as a Christian. Look what he says again, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies kind of like a lot of fancy theological talk to to say this simple thing. Even though right now, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're as saved as you're going to get. 
There isn't like elements of salvation that come and you're kind of saved and then a little bit more saved and then finally you're going to get totally saved. No, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to make you right with God, a holy God, you're as saved as you're going to get. But are you as holy as you're going to get? Do you feel the glory that God has promised for you as much as you're going to get? No, he said, there's the tension. You have this promise. You are as much a child of God if you've trusted Christ. But he said, but yet you haven't totally realized all that. He even says, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. I thought Paul had already said that we were adopted. We could call him Abba Father. He said, yes. But that full adoption, the fullness of that, when we really are in the presence of God himself, remember what the Bible says, that one day you will see him, what? face to face and as he is. Is that amazing? I mean, do we get some glimpses? Do we get some of this foretaste of who God is from his word? Yeah. And do we have some, uh, some things in our lives that, that truly give? I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> I just started hearing a voice and I was going, okay, I'm going to... Give over to that one if, that, if that's better there. So, uh, but, but isn't it amazing that here, here, I mean, do you understand, does this make sense to you that we're in this tension? Because here's one of the lies that I think that we're apt to believe if we're not very careful, that if we just love Jesus enough, then life will be sweet, wonderful, no pain. Never does it say that in the Bible. Never does it say that. And so when suffering and hardship or even just trivial things, when life becomes just this futile and it seems pointless and meaningless, sometimes we go and we go, okay, it must not be God's fault, so it must be my fault. Maybe I'm just not praying hard enough. Maybe I'm just not reading enough verses. You know, instead of a chapter today, I'm going to do a book a day. You know, Instead of praying for 10 minutes, I'm going to pray for an hour. And then the futility of this life will just go away. Well, folks, I promise you, if you prayed for an hour, you'd be more prepared for that futility and approach it in a biblical way, but you're still going to have futility in your life. Why? Because the Bible says it. It's an honest book. It tells the truth. And it's only when we take it and try to make it something that it's not that we make another gospel than the gospel that is here. Now, why did we go back and see this? So we, we see that this groaning is happening in creation. Creation is groaning, waiting for Christ. It says that you and I, our bodies, are groaning, waiting for Christ. But there's going to be a third groaning in verse 26 and 27. And this is why we went back and looked at it. Because there's a word that Paul uses at the first part of verse 26. In your translation, I know in this translation, in the ESV, it says likewise. It's a connecting word. He just made some truths, and he says, okay, likewise. I'm going to tie these two truths together. He uses the word likewise. Um, In the NIV, if you have the NIV or the NASV, it says in the same way. Okay, Same, same Greek word. Basically saying what I just said about these groanings and waiting for Christ, now I'm going to make another truth in parallel to that. Look what he says, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Who is the Spirit? 
the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity. You know, God the Father. We've already seen God the Father described there. We, we see the fullness of Christ. That's how we come to him in the first couple of we, um, verses there. He was, so those who are in Christ, no more condemnation. So we see those parts of the Trinity, and now we see the Holy Spirit of God. One God, three distinct personalities and people there that we see there. One God. But God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says that part of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, is he helps us in our weakness. Now look at the rest of that verse. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Is Paul just hooked on this word groanings, or do you think it has relevance that he's already used it twice? One to describe creation, groaning for Christ to come back. Another one for us, we're groaning, waiting for Christ to come back, waiting for this fullness of all what their Christ is. And now it says, hey, I want you to know, I want you to be encouraged, Christian. There's one more groaning. And this is the very Spirit of God groaning on your behalf. Is that amazing? I mean, let's kind of take this uh, verse apart a little bit. It says that he's, the Holy Spirit is there strengthening us and interceding for us. To intercede is to stand in the way. It's to be an advocate. It means to, to be a voice for somebody, to rescue, to speak up. Somebody is there. They can't speak for themselves. You see that person in dilemma. You step in the way and you intercede for that person. Maybe it's because of their weakness. Maybe it's a little child and you see that they're being tormented by older kids. And so you go on that playground and you say, you stand in for this little one. You say, don't pick on that little one. And you intercede. Well, since the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and for I, that, that, that he's doing this, why? Because it says we don't know how to pray as we ought. How many of you would agree to that? I mean, if there was ever going to be an amen this morning, would that not be like the biggest amen that I don't know how to pray as I ought? I mean, I think we believe in prayer. I think we, we, we pray and we have trust in prayer. And there's times that we feel that our prayer life is, is pretty solid. And there's other times that we feel like our prayer life is, is like nothing. Whenever uh, in the past 33 years that I've preached about praying, if people knew beforehand, they would come into the church that morning with fear and trembling. I mean, there's, you could see it on their face. They were so discouraged. Because I have never found, except for like five or six people in all my life, that were true prayer warriors, I found very, very few people that ever thought that they were going to get an award for praying. I mean, most of us feel like, man, I need to pray more. I wish, you know, I need to know some of those fancy words. I mean, didn't you go see War Room? You know, we need to be like that lady. You know, she's got some of those big words, and I know that must convince God. And we think that our prayer life, you know, that that, may be, that must be the secret. If we just knew more words and if we just knew the mind of God more and more, that we'd have this powerful prayer life. Folks, what God is telling us here is that you don't know the mind of God. You don't know how to pray. And so what has he done? He's given us his very spirit. He's coming and dwelt inside us to intercede for us. When you really think about it, isn't that what we're fighting, the futility of this age? Is that we just, you know, as much as we would love God and want to follow God, that sometimes we feel kind of disconnected from God. That somehow we just haven't figured out this whole Christian thing. I can promise you it was never meant to be figured out except for in one answer, Christ. That's why the Bible says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
God, God didn't do 99.9% and say, okay, Sherry, you've got to do this one last thing you've got to do. I did everything. All you've got to do is this one good thing. Now, Christ did it all. Everything is about Christ. It all centers on Christ. That's the only hope that we have. And so what we're fighting is this feeling of futility that comes in our life, of brokenness, of pointlessness. And, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are incredible highs in the Christian life. I mean, let's be honest. Now, husbands, I know you can gain some points this morning. So, well, my marriage is never like that. But, you know, in marriage, there are some incredible highs, aren't there? And there are some days of futility. Would you say, Carly? I won't say, but would you say? Yes. Okay, good. So I'm not in trouble. We'll talk on the way home. Right now. <laughs> I mean, even in, in, you know, we have some newlyweds back there. I mean, this is not to discourage. This is not to, <laughs> but I mean, there's going to be incredible highs, but there's going to be days of futility. That comes with, I mean, think about your jobs. Think about, okay, this is going parenting. Parenting. Are there not incredible highs with parenting? I mean, look how cute my little Halloween guy looks. And, you know, you take pictures and you post them all over Facebook and you do all that because it's just cute as it can be. But is parenting all highs? I mean, mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop. Now, there's some real challenges. And some of those challenges are just not just even just the sufferings, but the futility, the pointlessness. Potty training boys? It's like, this is pointless. This is... A, why even try? See, all of life is this way. Why? That's, the, that's what God has an answer for. Why is life like it is? It's not because he's let us down. It's because sin came into the world. And even though he had an answer for sin in Christ Jesus, we have a future glory and we have a future promise and we have some of the present foretaste of that, but we don't have it in completion. Why? Because look around. You still have this old body. And that's what Paul was talking about in chapter 7. When he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. I'm so frustrated. It was this futility that he was talking about. And now he says, creation is, is, is futile. Your body has this futility. He said, but I want you to know that there's an answer. There's a comfort that you can have in the midst of this futility. Know that my very spirit, that God himself, is praying and interceding on your behalf. Look what it says again, Romans 8:26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us, groanings too deep for words. I mean, in reality, have you ever tried to pray and the words just wouldn't come? I mean, the most practical thing, I mean, you just, you're going, okay, I need to pray about this. And you, and you really are devoted to prayer. It's not like you're going, okay, I'm too busy or, oh, the game's on, I'll pray afterwards. It's not like you're just distracted. It's not like you just have something else to do or that you even desire. You want to pray. And yet because of that torment, that suffering, or even the futility that you're facing at that moment, and you just kind of bow your head, you close your eyes, and nothing comes out. You don't even know where to begin. You don't know whether to go left or right or up or down or just quote some good scripture and then hope that it starts rolling. Here's hope for you and hope for me because I've been there. Brokenhearted and wanted to pray, just wanted to cry out for God. And yet when you go to cry out for God, the words don't come. Here's our hope that when we don't know how to pray, 
the very Spirit of God is praying, interceding on our behalf. When we don't have the words like that sweet little lady in the war room, when we don't have that place to go in our lives where we just feel like, you know, these big old majestic powerful words. Anybody ever have a grandma that could just really pray? Yeah. Or, or you know, uh, a mother or somebody in your life, and you're going, man, I just wish I could pray like her. And you thought, man, if she could just write those prayers down, I could get those out and kind of change a few things here, put my name in there. Folks, it is not about a special language. It is not about special prayers. It's not about the length of the words. It's not even about the length of the prayer. Let me take all that weight off of you and let's look at what the promise of God says. He says, when you don't even know what to pray for, God is looking at your heart. And the very Spirit of God is praying on your behalf. Let me encourage you a little bit more. Not only does the Holy Spirit constantly deal with us in this present futility and he intercedes for us and so we don't have to have these magical words, this prayer, you know, words that are about this long or just sound super holy. But look what he says in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I love the ESV version. One thing I don't like about the ESV is it doesn't capitalize uh, the names of God. Sometimes if it just says he. But that he that's there is God. God the Father. And basically what, what Paul is saying here is God searches the heart and the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here you are, you're going through this tough time. You're going through this time that seems very trivial. You're going through this suffering in your life. And you don't even have the words to say. You don't even know how to pray. God, do I pray for a new job or do I just stay in this job? You don't even know how to pray about those things. And God begins to, to show you there. Hey, because you put your trust in me, because you're in Christ, I want you to know that the very Spirit, my Spirit is in you, praying in agreement I mean, I don't know that there's anything more discouraging in the Christian life than feeling the pressure to pray the right prayer. I mean, have you ever really... I mean, let's be honest with one another. Since the Bible's brutally honest, let's be brutally honest. Have you ever felt truly, at least in mind, that if you didn't pray the right prayer, things were not going to happen? No, I would be the first one to agree that there is responsibility in prayer. And that there is, you know, the promise of answered prayer when we go before God in prayer. But guys, if you put yourself into a situation where truly it is all on your shoulders and the pressure to pray the right prayer is upon you, and if the, if the answer doesn't come right, it's because you didn't pray right, number one, that is horrendous. What a weight for you and I to carry around. Number two, it's not biblical. If there's some words that I would just want to imprint on the front of every Bible, it would be these words. It's not about you. It is all about Christ. It's all about him. I mean, even our prayer life is all about Christ. And yet, I mean, would you agree with this? (laughs) That prayer is meant to be incredibly intimate. And yet for most of it, it is incredibly intimidating. I mean, here we just heard that we were adopted. We're the sons and daughters of God. We're this family. 
and all these things that God has done for us in the, in the previous verses of Romans 8. And, and so we have this great intimacy, and yet now we go down, and, and if we don't get it right, we find out that this is all on us. It's not. So we got God the Father looking at the heart of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is interceding for you. And how is he praying? He's praying God's will. I mean, haven't you always wanted to pray God's will? I just want to pray God's will. I mean, wouldn't, you, wouldn't that be a powerful uh, thing if you prayed God's will? If, I mean, if you were so assured that this was God's will that you could pray, wouldn't that be a powerful prayer? I mean, you would get up off your knees after that prayer time and go, yes, uh-huh. God and I, we have this one. Because there wouldn't be a doubt, that, okay, did I say the right words? Did I pray the right prayer? Did I even pray for the right conclusion? We would understand that this, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. But guys, it gets even better from that. Not only is the Father involved, listening to the Holy Spirit, knowing the mind and the heart of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, praying. Why? Because we don't know how to pray or for what we ought to pray. Let's skip down just a little bit. We'll cover this in a couple of weeks. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, this kind of goes back to verse 1 and it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's now writing ahead and he's going, okay, who's going to accuse you before God? Is basically when he talks about who's going to condemn. Who's ever going to accuse you and say, okay, that you don't have a right to, to stand with God and what God has provided for you? We're going to, when we get to verse 34, he makes a great case for this. But his question is, who is to condemn? Now look at the rest of it. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, doing what? Do you get it, guys? I mean, you get it? We have one in heaven interceding. We have one in our heart interceding. It's not about you. It's really not. And it's not about magic words, and it's not about, okay, I didn't pray long enough. Now, folks, I, I, again, I'm not talking about irresponsibility in prayer. This is not a call for laziness in, in prayer. This is just, we want to be biblically right. Because who do you think is the one who is trying to torment you or convince you that you're not praying enough, the fancy words, this, that, and the other? Do you think that's coming from God? the evil ones. Why? Because he knows that this prayer thing was meant to be incredibly intimate and he would much rather it be incredibly intimidating. Because if you get freaked out about prayer, you're just not going to do it. You're going to think that it's just a function. Or if you do, all of a sudden you're going to find those, uh, you know, hey, this is how she prayed in war room. I'm going to write down those words. And, And while those were beautiful words in that application, what if you did those same words day after day after day after day? then you don't have a relationship anymore. It's just rote. It's not from your heart. It's not how you're living life. And so God has given us this incredible, incredible promise here. We have one in heaven interceding for us, Jesus Christ. We have one in our hearts, the very Holy Spirit interceding for us. And it's not about our ability to say the right words, a certain length of prayer, or to try to convince God what to do. Have you ever prayed that prayer? 
God, I've been thinking about this. I know you're busy up there. You've got a whole world of people to figure out. But I've been pretty concentrated on this one because this is my daughter or this is my son or this is my husband or my wife. This is, so I've been doing some extra time thinking on And here's pretty much how I think this thing should end up. And so God, just since I've kind of scoped out the pattern here and the, the path, I think you'd be very wise just to bless this. God loves you too much to, you know, to, to, to bless that. Now, you know, it's like the old country song, be careful what you pray for. I, I, I do believe that there's sometimes that we can be in such error and we're just not biblically, you know, looking to Christ. We're looking to other factions that, that we can pray erroneously and we can pray wrong. So I'm not calling for lazy prayer life. I'm not calling for, you know, that I'm just saying... Folks, it's all about Christ. It's all about the very Spirit of God in us has, is interceding for us. Let me sum it up this, and then we'll pray and be close. Take comfort this morning. If you're in Christ, this is not, not trying to be mean, but if you're here and you're not in Christ, if you have not put your faith and trust in His provision, in His provision alone, you think of your own morality, your attendance to church, you got wet, one time in church, and you think that's why you're a Christian? If you have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ this morning, here's the promise that God is making to you about living in a world that is filled with futility and filled with things that just seem pointless and aimless and even amount to suffering. Here's the promise that he's made. That you're not being watched as much as you're being understood. Does that change your prayer life? I mean, because if we go down to it, okay, if you just get the right words, then it's like, okay, is he watching? He's just waiting. Man, Radley, you were so close. Man, you prayed for four minutes and 58 seconds. If you could have held in there for two more seconds, Radley, I would have blessed that because that would have been a five-minute prayer. And that's just what God ordains, five-minute prayer. See, that, that kind of mentality is that you're being watched. The Bible tells us we're being understood. Even when I'm praying wrong, the Holy Spirit of God, because Christ is in me, is perfecting my prayers. I don't even have words. I mean, why do you think he uses this word groaning? I promise you, if you parent long enough, you will pray in groaning. And I say that in all seriousness. Because those greatest joys of your life will be the greatest heartbreaks too. When you love greatly, you hurt greatly, folks. You can't get around that. When you love greatly in your family and they pass, even if they don't go to heaven, you hurt greatly. Why? Because you love greatly. God gave us this great capacity for love and with that comes the futility of this world. That's why we look to heaven. That's why we look for the completion of all things when everything is complete and glory is fulfilled. But until then, the futility of this life and a rubbing, giving grievance to that foretaste of glory. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I don't know how many times I've bowed for prayer and I really did think that it was in the magic of my words. Or I, I thought if I could just say it fancy enough, spiritual enough, that somehow 
that you would smile down and upon me, Father, and you would just kind of answer that. And that that's what you were waiting for, just me to get the words right or to see enough dedication out of my life that I prayed a certain length of time. And Father, I, I would pray that you would communicate to each person here today. This is not a call for laziness in prayer whatsoever. You have called us to be a people of prayer. You've called the church to be a place of prayer. And so, Father, you have called us into this intimacy. And yet, Father, we have allowed so often times for this intimacy to become intimidating. And, Father, I pray that we would just look at the truth of your word this morning. Father, this morning that we'd say, okay, you loved us so much. So great is your gift that not only did you save us, but, Father, you very placed your spirit in us. And he's now interceding for us on our behalf. Why? Because we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. And, Father, your very son is sitting at your side, interceding for us. Father, one in heaven, one in the heart. How great is your love. So, Father, today, as as we would approach this time of prayer, this time of just reflection upon your word, Father, I pray that you would give us a freedom in our prayer life. And that, Father, that we would just come to you and we would adore you. That we would make much of Christ and make much of the love that you've given us. Father, I, I cannot imagine that there's not at least one, two, three people this morning that really this week has been one of those futile weeks, pointless, aimless. And they have wondered, why me? Why this? Why now? Father, would you hold them this morning? Will you just show them? You're a good and gracious God. You gave us Christ. If you gave us Christ, you would not hold, withhold anything that is good and meaningful for our lives. So, Father, when we have those Christian questions, and those are real questions, Father, will you just assure us that you have real answers, even if we don't see it yet? For the promise of glory, we await. This life of futility, we trust. And we thank you for Jesus. As we pray in the power of his name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.